Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, The Battle of the Catalonian Fields, Part 2 of 3. Last week I began the story of the late Roman Empire, in particular two massive setbacks that it suffered, the Battle of Adrianople in 378 and the Sack of Rome in 410. The Romans had always been resilient and had coped with many great challenges in their past, but now many of its citizens were seriously concerned. The barbarian attacks, seen by some as punishment for abandoning traditional Roman religion for Christianity, had left them in a deep state of shock. In response, a bishop of Africa, by the name of St Augustine of Hippo, wrote a book called The City of God. Its theme was to console the people that, even if the earthly rule of the empire was imperiled, it was the city of God that would ultimately triumph. The book went on to become one of the foundation stones of Christian theology. The decade after the sack was thankfully relatively peaceful. The two main challengers to the emperor in Ravenna, Alaric the Goth and the usurper Constantine III, both died within a year after the sack. The supreme commander of the Western Army, Constantius III, resettled the troublesome Goths in southern Gaul and stabilised both the empire's borders and imperial politics. In 417, he received in marriage the hand of Gala Placidia, the emperor Honorius's sister, who bore him a son, Valentinian, in July 419. And then on February the 8th, 421, he reached the pinnacle of power by being proclaimed co-Augustus by Honorius. At last, the Western Roman Empire had at its helm an able soldier and politician with the imperial bureaucracy and army fully behind him. But on September the 2nd, Constantius suddenly died, triggering a power struggle to replace him and returned to chaos at the heart of empire. The man who would eventually come out on top after more than a decade was an army commander named Aetius. Flavius Aetius was born in the province of Maurizia Inferior in modern-day Bulgaria around 391. His father, Flavius Gaudentius, was a Roman general of perhaps Gothic origin and his mother was a wealthy aristocratic woman of Italian ancestry. He is described by a contemporary writer, Renatus Frigidarus, as, in quote, of medium height, manly in his habits, and well proportioned. He had no bodily infirmity and was spare in physique. His intelligence was keen. He was full of energy, a superb horseman, a fine shot, and tireless with the lance. He was extremely able as a soldier, and he was skilled in the arts of peace. He bore adversity with great patience and was ready for any exacting enterprise. He scorned danger and was able to endure hunger, thirst and loss of sleep. 
between 405 and 408 during the conflict between Stilicho and the Goths. Aetius was kept as a hostage by Alaric. It was part of an exchange of hostages, which was very common practice between allies in the ancient world. It was a way of demonstrating that the two parties were in full accord and that they were intent on keeping to the agreements made. Such hostages were individuals of rank and distinction. In Aetius's case, his father was an influential army commander. He was well looked after and able to take the opportunity to learn about the Goths. After Stilicho's death, Aetius was allowed to return home, but soon after was assigned as a hostage again, this time with the Huns. As described last week, the Huns came in waves of migration from their original home in the steppes of Asia, westwards across northern Europe. The Germanic inhabitants between the Baltic, Rhine and Danube were either forced to work under the Huns or fully south, which caused major disruptions within the empire. It is extremely difficult to draw a clear picture of the activities of the Huns at this time, since the sources are vague and contradictory. Most likely, they and their followers attacked Thrace in 408, but were repelled, as much by Roman bribes as by military defence. Part of the resulting peace deal was the exchange of hostages, including Aetius. We don't know exactly when he returned to Italy, but he was back sometime before 425, when the Western Emperor died. As Honorius was childless, it was not clear who would succeed him, or whether a new emperor of the West would be appointed at all. Ravenna waited for the Eastern Emperor, Theodosius II, to make a decision, but after some weeks, nothing was heard. The head of the Western armies became nervous, and decided to appoint a new emperor themselves, by the name of John. Constantinople finally acted, its response being to reject what they saw as an usurpation to send troops to Italy to install Valentinian III, the six-year-old son of Constantius III and Garda Placidia. Aetius was sent by John back to the Huns with a large sum of gold in the hope of obtaining their support against the Eastern Army. He was the best man for this assignment, having grown up alongside the Huns for many years, unable to speak their language, and managed to persuade a large force of them to accompany him back to Italy. But by the time he arrived, the eastern troops had arrived and executed the usurper. Aetius immediately attacked the eastern army, but after heavy losses on both sides, and hearing of John's death, he called off the attack. In the circumstances, he did the only thing he could. He used the threat of the Huns as a bargaining chip. Garda Placidia, acting as the guardian of Valentinian, was compelled to come to an agreement. The Huns were paid off, and Aetius was granted command of the armies of Gaul, replacing his father, who had very recently been killed. The event demonstrates Aetius's strength in diplomacy at being able to make the most of a difficult position and the strong bonds he had formed within the Hunnic people. He must have also enjoyed a degree of influence in the court of Ravenna to have escaped punishment for choosing the wrong side in a civil war. Gala Placidia spent the next years trying to sustain a balance of power in which no one figure among the elite should become too powerful. 
The main contenders for power were the leaders of the three main Western army groups. There was nothing unusual in the subsequent jostling for power that took place in Italy, but there was about its knock-on effects. During previous civil wars, the rest of the Roman world would get on with being Roman, the landed elites administrating their estates while the peasantry worked on their farms. But by the 420s, there were untamed alien forces at large on Roman soil, and political paralysis in Ravenna gave them free rein to pursue their own agendas, largely unhindered. And the overall effect was hugely detrimental to the Roman state. It's important to bear in mind that most tribes had absolutely no desire to bring down or take over the empire. They were in awe of the Romans and wanted to take a share of its wealth, culture and prestige. What they were interested in, most of all, was a place where they could safely settle away from the Huns. In southern Gaul, the Visigoths were reasserting their independence, while on the Rhine frontier, the Alemanni and Franks were again restless. In particular, the Vandals and Alans, who had earlier broken into the empire, formed a barbarian supergroup, which moved into and took control of Spain. They numbered perhaps 80,000 in total, including the women and children of the tribes. In 428, leadership of the group passed to a man called Genseric. The chronicler Jordanes, in his history of the Goths, describes the new king, who would end up leading his men successfully against the Romans for the next half-century. He was, in quote, a man of moderate height and lame in consequence of a fall from a horse. He was a man of deep thought and few words, holding luxury and disdain, furious in his anger, greedy for gain, shrewd in winning over the barbarians, and skilled in sowing the seeds of dissension to arouse enmity. End quote. Ginsevich's first major decision was to take his men away across into Africa in the search for the most profitable place to settle. The Straits of Gibraltar, where the crossing took place, was at the extreme far end of Roman control, so there was probably no imperial forces nearby to prevent the crossing. It then took them 12 months to travel along the North African coast until they reached Hippo, the hometown of St Augustine, not far from Carthage. They met little resistance, as the local Roman forces were light, far more accustomed to patrolling and chasing the occasional raider than to heavy fighting, and there was no spare army available to confront them. Throughout the empire, in these years, various immigrant groups within the frontiers of the West had taken the opportunity of the infighting in Ravenna to improve their positions. To make things worse, trouble generated by the immigrants triggered the usurpation of imperial power by locals. The only regions still in good shape from an imperial viewpoint were Italy, Sicily and south-east Gaul. In 433... Aetius finally secured political dominance in Ravenna and attempted to salvage the empire. First he sent an army to Africa, bolstered by forces from the eastern half of empire. They waged a successful war of containment against the Vandals and the Lands, leading to a treaty in February 435. 
Aetus was then free to take on the problems in Gaul, in particular the Visigoths running wild, and part of the overall problem of too many armed foreign groups on Roman soil. What he needed was military aid from outside, at least until the Visigoths could be brought back into line. His only recourse was the Huns, a people who had already played a crucial role in Aetus's career. In 425 they had saved him from certain death by supporting the usurper John, and years later a Hunnic army had helped him overcome an imperial rival. After the Visigoths were subdued, Aetus negotiated with the Huns to attack the Burgundian tribes who had invaded Belgica. A series of attacks devastated the Burgundian kingdom, and its survivors were resettled around Lake Geneva. Soon after, Roman armies retook control of the centre of Gaul and Spain. By 439, Aetius had achieved the amazing feat of re-establishing imperial authority over virtually all the western half of empire. Again, just as the Romans could begin to believe again in a sustained recovery, the empire received probably its biggest blow to date. In October of that year, Genseric took advantage of Rome's preoccupations elsewhere. They broke their treaty and launched a sudden attack to take the strategic city of Carthage. The Romans were caught unawares, and Genseric captured a large part of the Western Roman navy, docked in the port, as well as the city itself. Since the days of Hannibal, Carthage had become a cultural and above all economic pillar of the Roman Empire. It had been utterly Romanized, and exported huge quantities of wheat to Italy, keeping the citizens there well fed with their daily bread. The revenue surplus from North Africa was essential for balancing the imperial books, without which the West would not be able to afford to pay for large forces to defend its more exposed territories. The failure to defend Carthage was Aetus's biggest mistake, and the cost of this mistake was huge. At one stroke, Genseric had removed from his control the richest province of the Roman West, with the result that financial crisis loomed. Aetius immediately started putting together an army to cross the sea and retake Carthage, but the plan was abandoned before it had got going. Instead, a new agreement had to be negotiated with Vandals. Genseric would keep providing the, the Italian peninsula with bread, in return for cash. It was a humiliating climb down for the Romans, but they had no choice. The main contingent intended for the attack was from Constantinople, and they were urgently required back in the east to fend off a massive renewed attack by the Huns. Join me next week for the story of the Battle of the Catalonian Fields, the last great battle of ancient Rome in the twilight of empire between Aetius and the Romans and Attila and the Huns. Thank you for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 